we had a situation where there was this vast inequity in the distribution of vaccines globally. Of the 6 billion or so that had been given in summer 2021, uh, 4 billion of those doses had been given in just 10 countries. Uh, and in a global pandemic, that's simply not acceptable. There is wide agreement that the unequal distribution of vaccines globally is a problem. But what has led to this problem and what can we do about it? In this interview, I talked to Dr. Jonathan Pugh about vaccine nationalism. So Dr. Pugh is a Parfit Radcliffe Richards Senior Research Fellow at the Oxford Uhero Center for Practical Ethics at the University of Oxford. Hello, I'm Katrin de Boller. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. If you'd like to see more of my videos, don't forget to subscribe to the Practical Ethics channel. You can also just listen to the interviews on Apple Podcasts. So, um, so the UK and other high-income countries have been um, criticized for hoarding vaccines. They've been accused of uh, vaccine nationalism. Um, but what is that? What is vaccine nationalism? So vaccine nationalism in the broadest strokes is the idea that governments can be justified in prioritizing their own citizens when it comes to the rollout and distribution of vaccines. And now as your secretary, and that's been a widely discussed um, position in the pandemic. And it's been quite controversial. And I think to get a handle on the moral debate in this area, it's useful to take a step back and think about the ways in which that sort of position might have a kind of philosophical justification. So one reason that, that people might think that vaccine nationalism is a wrong-headed idea is that you might think that morality should really be an impartial affair. So you might think that morality is all about following universal rules and that we all have obligations that apply equally to each and every member of the moral community. Now, it's a very popular view of morality, but it's not the only one. So some people might think that morality also includes special kinds of moral reasons that apply specifically to people with whom we share a close relationship. So the classic example of this is the relationship between a parent and their child. We might think that a parent was missing out on a really important moral dimension if they treated their child completely impartially, where they didn't prioritize their child's interest, perhaps over the interest of a stranger's child. So one way of thinking about how vaccine nationalism might have some sort of moral justification is to think about the question of whether co-nationality or perhaps the relationship between a government and its citizens could be the sort of relationship that could ground this special kind of moral reason, this reason of partiality. Right. And, and so why would it be justified for countries to prioritize their own citizens? So this is the really you know, important question and really the crux of the matter, because obviously not all kinds of relationship can ground these special kind of moral reasons. So although we think that a mother can perhaps justifiably prioritize their, their child, we certainly don't think it would be right to prioritize the interests of our own uh, sex, for instance, that would amount to um, discrimination. So there are a number of different approaches to try and tease out this question of what kinds of relationship can ground these special moral reasons. So one approach of co-nationality is to appeal to consequentialist considerations. So you might think that if um, national partiality is justified, we as a global society might be able to achieve other kinds of important uh, intrinsic goods, such as justice and equality. Other people take a slightly different approach. One appeals to the, the nature of what it is to be a citizen in a nation state. So when you're a citizen in a nation state, you have to sacrifice some of your liberties and you are liable to the state exercising coercive power over you. That's just part of what being a citizen in a nation state involves. 
And so you might think in order for that to be a fair bargain, if you like, um, it's only fair that citizens can expect their governments to prioritize their own interests over the interests of, of other countries. So that's a, an institutional approach to justifying national partiality. The final one uh, really takes its lead from the example of the mother-child example I, I spoke about earlier. So it tries to claim that co-nationality is just the same sort of valuable relationship um, that we can see with other you know, close and important relationships, such as between uh, parents and children, but also between friends and, and other relatives. Now, of course, that seems quite an odd idea because you know, we, we don't know all of the other citizens in our own countries. And it seems quite odd to say that we share anything like the same sort of close relationship we have with friends and family. But there are other considerations that might come into that. So we might think the fact that we as a, um, a, a, na a nation have produced certain goods over time as a shared sort of enterprise. So one example of this, which I think Thomas Herker has used, is the NHS in, in the UK. So as well as having this shared community by virtue of being part of the same nation, we all came together to produce this, this good, which ensured you know, people could access healthcare. So you might try and outline co-nationality as involved in this really um, valuable relationship, not necessarily due to the closeness of the ties between each and every member, but due to the manner of the goods that it can produce. So it seems like there is something to say for giving priority to one's own citizens. So what exactly then is, is the problem with vaccine nationalism? Is there really a problem? Yeah, so the first thing to say is that these reasons of partiality only raise moral issues when they come into conflict with what impartial ethics might tell us to do. Now, in the pandemic, it appears that that has been the case to some degree, at least, uh, particularly in the summer of 2021, when uh, countries, developed countries, were beginning to initiate uh, so-called booster programs programs for vaccination uh, before many less developed countries had begun to roll out even first doses of vaccinations to their most vulnerable citizens. So one statistic um, that was being talked about around that time was, uh, so August 2021 or so, around 6 billion vaccine doses have been delivered, uh, and around 4 billion of them have been delivered to just 10 countries. So really staggering inequity in, in distribution. Now, there is certainly some debate about the extent to which vaccine supply was solely responsible uh, for that. But it's certainly true that the director of the World Health Organization felt it appropriate to call for a moratorium uh, for booster programs in August 2021 uh, in order to prioritize first doses for less developed nations. This seemed to be an area in which reasons of national partiality, so prioritizing vaccines for uh, countries' own citizens, came into conflict with what impartial ethics might call for, so distributing vaccines more widely. However, there are some ways in which it might be the case that these two moral reasons might not have been in such stark conflict. So one way in which reasons of partiality might not conflict with impartial ethics in a resource allocation decision is when there's enough of the resource to go around anyway. So certainly a number of people responded to the WHO's call for a moratorium by suggesting it was calling for a false choice. So perhaps there were enough vaccines to go around. Another way in which these conflicts might not be so stark is when reasons of partiality call for us to do the same thing as actual ethics. So another issue that was discussed at the time of initiating booster programs was it might have actually been in developed countries' best interest to donate more vaccines to less developed nations 
in order to reduce the number of global cases. And the reason that might have been in the interest of more developed nations is that that might hopefully reduce the chance of a dangerous virus mutation occurring, the sort of mutation that might in fact undermine the uh, effectiveness of the vaccines. So there we might have had a strategy where what was in fact in developed nations' own best interest was helping other people. So reasons of partiality and impartial ethics would have coincided. Again, a lot of empirical issues about whether that would have been the case or whether it would have been more beneficial to initiate booster programs. Since that time, of course, we've seen the development of the Omicron variant, which you know changed the uh, changed the scales a little bit in, in that regard. Um, but ultimately, it seems to some extent, at least, the lack of vaccine supply has played some role in the vast inequities in vaccine distribution. And insofar as that's the case, we really have to deal with this question of vaccine nationalism and the extent to which it can uh, be justified, if at all. And so is there um, an alternative to vaccine nationalism? What, what, are, what, what are the other options? Yeah, so the polar opposite view is this idea of vaccine cosmopolitanism. And this view appeals to these impartial ideas about ethics largely. So it claims that community membership just doesn't have the kind of ethical relevance that vaccine nationalists claim. Instead, uh, vaccine distribution should really be determined by more powerful moral obligations. So that's the general idea. Uh, it's useful, I think, to distinguish a couple of different types. And this is drawing on some work by uh, Lowry and Shuklenk, um, whose paper I very much recommend. But one way of approaching this general idea of cosmopolitanism in this context is to appeal to, again, these general impartial moral ideals, such as human rights, for example. So you might claim that all humans have rights to basic levels of healthcare, and they all share an equal entitlement to secure the resources they need to exercise those rights. So again, that might um, speak in favor of distributing the vaccines to where there is the greatest need, where they're going to uh, bring about the most benefit. Similar vein, you could appeal to something like Peter Singer's principle of equal consideration of interests. So the idea that we should give equal weight to the like interests of all those who are affected by our actions. So again, there may be some circumstances, at least, where a vaccine dose would have a far greater benefit as someone's first dose than it would as a third booster dose for someone else. And again, uh, Singer's principle is going to tell us we should give it to the person who will benefit most, regardless of where they live. So this is a, a very humanitarian approach to cosmopolitanism, but you can have a more political approach. So on, on this kind of approach, you might think, well, if there are some developed nations or perhaps other powerful global actors which are in some way causally responsible for the poor health conditions in less developed nations, then it might be argued that these more developed nations have a duty of justice to, to rectify that situation. So the political approach is somewhat narrower. The, the obligation to help less developed nations falls on those who have this sort of responsibility. The general idea about cosmopolitanism uh, really speaks against vaccine nationalism and really speaks in favour of ensuring a far more equitable distribution of vaccines, which doesn't take um, community membership in a nation as having the kind of strong moral relevance that vaccine nationalists claim. Yeah, so we have these two opposing views. Um, so what should we do? Like, how, can we sort of resolve the conflict between 
vaccine nationalism and vaccine cosmopolitanism. Um, of course, one way to resolve the conflict is to establish that, you know, one of these philosophical views is completely flawed. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the idea of human rights is very much secure. So people who have uh, adopted this approach have really tried to uh, undermine uh, the nationalist approach, uh, either national partiality or more narrowly, uh, vaccine nationalism. There are a couple of ways in which you might do that. So you might question whether co-nationality is a sufficiently valuable relationship to form the foundation for a powerful reason of partiality. Um, on the instrumental approach that I mentioned right at the outset, you might question whether national partiality is going to be instrumental to bringing about impartial global goods such as justice and equality. So that certainly is a strategy you might adopt. One problem with it is that vaccine nationalism, uh, national partiality, admit of really a wide range of different justifications. And a lot of those justifications have quite strong intuitive and indeed political support. So we might be a little skeptical of how feasible it's going to be to solve the practical issue uh, by settling this somewhat abstract philosophical debate between nationalists and cosmopolitans. So an alternative approach is to try and recognize the force of both views and to find a compromise position between the two that allows us to respond to both our duties of partiality, but also our impartial duties. So we might try and say that national partiality can be justified perhaps to an extent, but only within certain uh, quite strict limits perhaps. So one example of that is the influenza standard that Owen Schaefer and colleagues have um, written about. So on that approach, Broadly, the idea might be that something like vaccine nationalism can be permitted, but only in so far as it's necessary to ensure that COVID-19 ceases to be an emergency in that country, going beyond background health risks such as those associated with influenza. Once the um, uh, level of need is equal to the health risk posed by influenza, then prioritizing uh, your own citizens can no longer be justified. But any more abstract level I suppose the the idea of trying to reconcile these these two ideas about what morality is telling us to do is to say that we need to perhaps to stipulate certain thresholds of high need that can be invoked to justify prioritizing our own citizens or we might appeal to a threshold of basic needs that we must satisfy for people in other countries before we can begin prioritizing those in our own. Um, so what do you think is the most important lesson learned from the pandemic? What should we do better um, you know, when being faced with the next pandemic? Yeah, I think this is a really um, difficult question because I, there are perhaps a lot of lessons, but I think the issue we've been talking about today um, speaks to perhaps one of the most important ones. And it's, it's really just a reflection of that statistic I, I said earlier. For whatever reason, we had a situation where there was this vast inequity in the distribution of vaccines globally. So just to repeat it, of the 6 billion or so that had been given in summer 2021, uh, 4 billion of those doses had been given in just 10 countries. Uh, and in a global pandemic, that's simply not acceptable. Now, there is a debate about the extent to which vaccine nationalism was solely responsible for that. Um, that's probably too simplistic a view. There are, of course, very difficult logistical challenges with um, delivering vaccines to different parts of the world. There's also, the, of course, the issue of vaccine hesitancy in different parts of the world. But it seems true that we would need to think very carefully in the next public health emergency about how we can fix this issue of vaccine nationalism, which does seem 
uh, to me at least, to have played some uh, causal role in the iniquity that we've we've seen.